Money Mind, expanding your mind when it comes to money matters. Here's your host, Tanya Carlson from Amplify Wealth Management. Greetings, friends and listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Money Mind. Today, we're bringing you something a little different. This episode will be part of a three-part series based on a recent in-person event ran by a local group here in the Sutherland Shire, Sydney, New South Wales, of which I'm a part. The group is called High Heels and Dollar Bills. Now, High Heels and Dollar Bills is a group of professional women who collaborate together to educate and empower women and anyone else who is interested in financial matters. This year, we ran an event which was called 12 Financial Strategies to Thrive. The feedback from our events has always been super positive. So we know that not everyone can attend live events and we thought it might be helpful to share some of the content in a podcast format. In each of the interviews, uh, you're going to hear some tips from the presenters on the evening as well as myself and the topics that we discussed together. Today's first guest is Natalie Denya, and Natalie is an award-winning mortgage broker with Birdie Wealth. She has over 20 years' experience in both banking and mortgage broking and really prides herself on genuinely connecting with her clients and acting in their best interest. She is, of course, a Shire local and a busy mum to three children. So settle in, grab your beverage of choice or stride on, drive on, and enjoy my interview with Natalie Denya. Welcome to the show, Nat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So I thought we might start with why you wanted to run this event. I guess when I first um, changed over to Birdie, it was uh, scary really because I thought, well, where am I going to get my clients from? And at my previous um, brokerage, they were, I, I found myself attracting women and especially, you know, women who might have been coming out of separation. And I just realized that with the mortgage broking industry only having 25% women, and that's actually declining, there is something that I could offer because um, a lot of women connect with women and feel more comfortable perhaps. And yeah, and I thought that by collaborating with other professionals, it's it's also a great way to share the workload in doing these kind of events, as well as collaborating with um, their clients, get to know who I am and vice versa. And I think that shared the workload was um, pretty important <laughs> because it is, there's a lot involved in running an event as, as you and I both know, but it really, well, we had the wonderful Keely who probably won't be on this podcast, but uh, really should sing out her praise because she did a great job at um, helping us In run the, the event and coordinate. Yeah, the social yeah. media and all the all the good stuff that goes alongside of that. So thank you again, Keely. So I thought what we'd do today, um, we had a lot of people really, I think, appreciate the content. And I thought what we might do today is kind of go through the three tips that you shared on the evening. And we had a lot of um, people asking questions of each of us. Um, and so I thought I'd run through some of the popular questions so that people listening might get a feel for what was involved and, and maybe like to come along to the next one. Not that we have a date yet, but I'm sure we'll we'll do another um, at some stage. So I'll hand it over to you maybe to, to share your chip, tips that you shared on the evening. 
Sure. So um, the three main tips that I shared were borrowing capacity, offset accounts and rate reviews. So in regards to borrowing capacity, that's often um, a struggle, especially um, potentially for single mums and um, self-employed. So if you're self-employed, your accountant is doing their best job to reduce the amount of tax you have to pay, which then means that on paper, there's not as much income for us to show to the bank. And Mm. that's why it's important for us to work with your accountant to get that balance right. It might mean one year declaring less expenses potentially in order to have the income high enough in order to borrow uh, for your home. And then with borrowing capacity too, I find a lot of people will come in and they they don't realise that certain things reduce borrowing capacity. For in, for example, credit cards. So yeah. you might have a $15,000 credit card limit and you only use it a small amount of it each month. You might even pay it off every month. So you, f- you feel like that shouldn't yeah. impact. However, the banks look at that as if you could go out tomorrow, spend the full $15,000, and then you'd have to pay it back at 22% interest. So that expense right. needs to be factored in. So reducing that limit might be a quick and easy way to um, improve your borrowing capacity. Um, HEX is another one. So Mm. the HELP um, university debts that people have, because it's debiting from your pay, that's another commitment that we have to factor in. So sometimes paying that out, especially if it's just a small balance owing, it can really improve borrowing capacity. So I always go through those things just to let people know and then they can make the choice as whether, you know, as to whether they want to reduce yeah. those debts um, in order to increase borrowing capacity. Yeah, so sure. those were the kind of things that I talked about on the night in regards to that point. With um, offset accounts, that was uh, something that a lot of people get confused about. A lot of people mm-hmm. love offset accounts as well. So the way to maximise your offset account is really if you can get your pay put into that because any balance sitting in your offset account effectively is reducing the loan balance. So every night yeah. the bank's computer system goes in and it says, okay, they owe 500000 on the loan. But hang on yeah. a sec, they've got 20000 over here in the offset account, therefore we'll charge interest on 480000 And because it's calculated daily, that's where it's good that um, as the money hits your account, it's, it's actually taking effect. Even and so, though bills and things are going to come out, but because of the daily calculation, it's it's going to be um, helpful anyway. Yeah, that's right. And so the offset accounts, just like a normal account, you have a Visa debit card linked, you can tap and go with your expenses. Um, but all the while, the money sitting in there is is helping you. And some banks actually offer multiple offset accounts. So that's handy where you could um, label them. So nickname them inside your internet yeah. banking with bills, uh, renovation money, holiday yep. savings. Um, Love that. And the balance mm. of all of those accounts gets added up and deducted off off your loan balance effectively in the way that they charge you interest. Um, yeah, great. If you have a loan without an offset account, it's, it's not the end of the world because what you can do is use redraw. Um, yeah. Redraw is when you pay extra into your loan and it will sit there as an available balance. Um, yes. And you can pull that back out if need be. Uh, it, it works exactly the same with the way that they calculate the interest. It's interest, just that, yeah. you know, having the offset account means that your everyday money is also working for you. Yeah, it's, it's funny actually. I often think that when we talk to clients who have a problem with cash flow, sometimes redraw is good for clients because 
they can't see the money <laughs> because with offset it's sitting there and people think, oh, look at that, I've got $50,000 in my offset, I'm, I'm rich and, and off they go spending without sort of too many concerns. But technically the money is not really their money, it's, it should be um, paid off the loan or it's certainly being calculated that way. What, yes, what do you I think about that? I always say uh, redraw is like out of sight, out of mind because, you know, and it's also motivating to see yeah. your loan balance lower. And, yes, while it's showing available, it, you can think of it more as, oh, we don't want to pull that back out because that's that would mean our loan balance is going to get higher. So, yeah, I mean, both ways, it's a psychological thing, isn't it? It really? is, isn't it? Yeah. Reverse psychology seems yeah. to work for me. I want to see that loan balance go down and I, I like to think I don't have that money, but I yes. know plenty of people that really like to know it's there and they sleep at night feeling like they've got a buffer if something went wrong and, and I guess self-employed and people like that where, you know, cash flow can move around is certainly a need for having access to liquidity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. My third point was in regards to rate reviews, which is very topical at the moment with the rates mm. going up. But yeah, with the the rate reviews at Birdie Wealth, we really pride ourselves on adding that extra service. So I know smaller brokerages, they would really have a hard time being able to rate review on all of their clients consistently because they're yeah. busy doing the upfront applications for all their new inquiries coming in. So that's why we have a big team. And we also, as a broker, so you don't pay for us, we get paid from the banks and we get paid uh, an upfront commission and then we get paid trail commission ongoing. And so mm -hmm. we like to know that we've earned that trail commission in making sure that mm -hmm. all of our clients are on the best possible rate um, for their situation. So Every six months, we approach the bank and say, mm, this rate's not good enough, we want better. And I right. feel like coming from the broker, it's a little more threatening than if you were to approach the bank yourself in respect to the fact that we, we're we motivated to move them potentially because we would get paid another yeah. upfront um, commission. And yeah. also because they know that we know what else is out there? So we, we're familiar True. with what the rates. You walk into a branch and they might say, oh, congratulations, we've reduced your rate by 0.03% and it's, you know, really nothing. Yeah. Um, you don't know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so we can come back and say, you know what, this, this where you, like today I had a, um, a client who's coming off fixed in November. The rate mm. that she's rolling off to is actually pretty good. So what we're going to do is uh, approach the bank, try to use that, uh, sorry, a, a competitor's bank's rate as, yeah. um, you know, just to threaten them, I guess, to say, well, we're going yeah. to move them if um, if you can't match it. And that would be yes. the ideal solution because, you know, refinancing from one bank to another is a bit of a rigmarole. You've got to provide would, loan you documents. You wouldn't do it every and, six months, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be doing it. So no. yeah, when we do our rate reviews, that's our that's our main goal. There are some yeah. instances where the banks just aren't coming to the party, and we feel like that's just not good enough. And then we will um, let our clients know what else is available, and if they wanted to move, yeah. what documents we'd require, and we start that process them. for them if they would want yeah. us to. Yes. Yeah, so um, which is I helpful, that, right? Because people are busy; they're not going to have time to do that themselves all the time, or to keep an eye on it. Exactly. And mo and a lot of people don't. I know that recently people are more aware of it purely mm -hmm. because the rates um, have been yeah, going hurting. up. So it's, yeah. it's hurting 
um, the budget. And so it's something that people are looking at. But, you know, when the rates were low, a lot of people just it's it's in the too hard basket. You know, you might yeah. think about it as you're driving, but do you actually call the bank and check on it? And yeah. so that's why our clients at Birdie, they know that that's going to be taken care of. Great. Well, we had lots of questions coming in and I guess, um, you know, that reflects the times and the fact that people are really um, noticing the difference on their home loan with these increases or, or preparing for the time that they're coming off fixed rates, which is for a lot of people in the next couple of months. So I think um, certainly your, your phone will be ringing hot as it probably already is. But a lot yeah. of questions came around, uh, well, t- two things, you know, certainly do you think interest rates are, are going to stop going up anytime soon? And I think that's a, obviously a, a crystal ball question, hard to really answer. But um, do you have any sense of what the banks are feeling or saying to you? Uh, well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that's it. We're done. I'm hoping. <laughs> but as you say, I don't have a crystal ball. I do, it, like, just from, you know, listening to podcasts, being in the industry, um, I and reading articles and everything, I'm hoping that that is it. And if there are any more rate rises, it would only be maybe one or two um, mm. because they're sort of getting inflation under control. And I think that there was just a really big lag with the rate rises taking effect because in Australia, we had more in savings than ever before coming out of COVID. So people had just been using Correct. up their savings and the amount of clients that were fixed, um, you know, two or three yeah, fixed, they're only just worrying. starting to come off. So they haven't really felt yes. the pinch until recently. It was a real, um, yeah. Yeah, so maybe people were still spending you know, regardless, and it's only now that that they're feeling um, the effects of all these rate rises. And, yeah, so I just, I'm hoping that that's it. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think none of us really know. I mean, we we look at this sort of data all the time as well, but, you know, things change on a daily basis. One and even some economists, that that's all they do, they get it wrong. So I'm oh, I'm sitting here as a mortgage broker, you know, um, yeah. yeah, just hoping that it's stopped, that it's stopped yeah. now. Yeah, I think we'd like to see that. Well, I certainly think that where interest rates will be higher for longer than, than anticipated, I know a lot of people are waiting for when they come down. I often say to people, I don't think that's what your focus should be. It's managing cash flow now and expecting that they're going to be higher for longer. And if you that's can... Right maintain that grade if you can pay off more as always um, that that can often be a good strategy for you without knowing people's individual circumstances obviously in in something like this podcast what about things like um, we had a few questions on the evening about fixing or staying variable what are your thoughts in in the current environment Um, Personally, I've stayed variable on our homeland I feel like we missed the boat because the Mm. you know the rates have already climbed fixed rates are still higher than variable and so Mm. to me I think I don't want to pay that premium out of fear um, that they're going to continue to keep rising and then I would hate to be stuck up on like a two-year fixed while everybody else is getting to ride the wave back down if the rates do drop off in the future yes Um, so financially I think it's it, it probably would be better to uh, stay variable. But mm. uh, I have had a couple of clients fix and that was because of their situation. They wanted to be able to sleep at night yeah. and uh, in their situations they'd borrowed quite a lot. So they had a big debt, young children, um, and they just said, Nat, if 
if the rates continue to rise, we won't be able to keep our home. And so sure. knowing that, okay, for the next two years, we can actually afford that that repayment, even if it is a bit higher than the variable, um, that put them at ease to know that we're going to be okay. Um, mm. And so I, I totally respect that decision as well. It just depends on your circumstances. Of course. And that's the whole point of seeing someone like you and getting that help that relates to your situation because everybody's going to be a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. We also had a few people um, asking how they can help their kids into their first property. What do you think yep. about that? So security guarantor lending um, has probably dropped off because of the government's first home guarantee scheme. So when you're borrowing um, your, for your first home, you need to have 20% plus the stamp duty and costs. So now there is a few ways around that. Because if you didn't have that in the past, you'd have to pay lenders mortgage insurance, which is really mm. expensive. Yeah. And so now what the government have done is they've introduced um, discounted stamp duty. So if you're buying for under 800000 you don't have to pay any stamp duty as a first home buyer. And then between 800000 wow. and a million, it's a discounted um, rate. So that those thresholds just increased on the 1st of July, which is good because Sydney prices are Great crazy. Great to see. We yeah, need, exactly. We need, Hello. Yeah. Um, and then with the first home guarantee, that means that you can borrow all the way up to 95% um, without having to pay lenders mortgage insurance and without having to have parents go on as security guarantor. Oh, so is long that right? as so you only need like a five percent deposit. Yes. Yeah, oh. and especially five percent mm. plus about I always say five thousand dollars to cover the conveyancing and costs. And that's if your yeah. purchase price is under the eight hundred where you're not paying any stamp duty. Um Okay. If you're above the 800, you'd need to have the stamp duty plus the costs as well as the five percent. Um Got it. and so yeah, with the uh, first home guarantee, um, the threshold is 900000 So if you buy for over 900000 you can't qualify. And there's also income thresholds. So 125000 per year for an individual and 200000 per year for a couple. And that's based mm. on the notice of assessment for the 2023 financial year. Um, okay. And, yeah, so and the, the idea is that this has to be owner-occupied as well, not an investment. So you have to move into I the see. property. Yeah. yeah. And so with that, it's meant that security guarantor lending has dropped off a bit. However, if it's a purchase price over the 900000 that's pretty much when we would need parents to help out. Or if the kids had no deposit at all, because um, well. the banks, yeah, so for security guarantor lending, the banks <coughs> will actually lend... 100% plus the costs, yeah, which is a bit scary. Wow. We don't do that very often because I, yeah. even myself, I would prefer mm. my clients to have shown that they've been able to save. But say if they've um, got young kids and they're paying a lot in rent, that in itself is showing that they've got the good habits um, because now their rental um, expense will go towards their mortgage instead. So, yeah. yeah it can... And a lot of people, they, they sort of say that, don't they? They say, look, I'm paying, you know, $800 a week in rent. If I had a mortgage, it'd probably the repayments would probably only be 600 So yes. I'm, I'm probably better off, but I can't, I can't get into the, the um, deposit scenario that's because right. it's too hard to save yeah while you're okay. paying rent and everything yeah that's yeah. right um yeah so so anyway with uh with kids sorry parents helping out their kids yeah. 
I know that at barbecues, you know, parents might hear, oh, no, don't ever do it. You could lose your home and um, doom and gloom, you know, or, or you've seen on a current mm. affair where somebody's, you know, really yeah. impacted on their parents. I haven't personally experienced that in all the years that I was working in the bank. I haven't seen mm. a situation go badly. Um, the risk now is limited. So in the past, the banks were able to hold the whole title deeds or the security, but now the government stepped in and said, no, it's go, got to be a limited guarantee for the shortfall. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that it's, um, I probably don't want to go through the figures, but what it really means is purchase price times 80%, that's what the bank will lend you against your property, the, pro- the new yep. property that the kids buy. Any shortfall between the costs and the stamp duty minus their deposit is going to have to go onto the parent's property. So the kids are the borrowers. They are responsible to make the repayments on the loan. But the parents in the background at the bank, there is a small portion portion. of the loan secured by their property. Yeah. And and also, I think as the kid's property grows in value over time, parents can be released from that guarantee. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. So... Best case scenario is the kids continue to make their repayments and potentially pay extra. That means both loans are going down because some banks actually make you split it. So you've got the two loan splits, one against your place, one against your parents' property. Oh, I see. But actually both loans reducing helps you to get under the 80% LVR, which stands for the loan to value ratio. So, and also at the same time, the value of that property would hopefully be going up. Money mind. So yeah. If you have any it's, questions it's about your financial future, please head to um, amplifywealth.com.au. Money but mind is available to download years, and subscribe for free, free wherever you get your bank, podcasts. Um, and, is, and then recalculate based on the current loan balance. And as soon as it's below 80%, we say, thanks, mum and dad, um, but we're we're on our own. Um, See you we later. don't need you anymore. And we release <laughs> their title deeds. Yes. Great. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I think that's important for mums and dads to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel if they're if they're wanting to do that, they might feel, well, ha- I've got four children. I don't personally, but um, if someone did, you know, how am I going to do this for each child? But obviously every child's not going to be ready for home ownership at the same time. You might be and able to wait. And they can do it uh, multiple mm-hmm. multiple kids as well. Yeah, so great. I actually did have three daughters all on the parents' loan. I think I might have released the first daughter when the third was going on. So if you've got the equity, yeah. like they, say they only needed 100000 yes. each and that property was worth a million dollars. There's plenty of equity to be able to yeah. help multiple kids. Um, yeah, yeah, great. So, and that's a, a question that parents a good often strategy have too. If I help one, I have to help the other. So, yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, I think they do have to if they help one. Otherwise, it's unfair, <laughs> right? We know what that does in in families. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I guess one of the other questions that we we got a lot on the evening was self-employed people. You know, they were feeling um, that it's always been challenging to get loans approved. Like you said earlier, um, when we talked about borrowing capacity, it was, you know, your accountant's busy reducing your tax, um, but for some self-employed people, income fluctuates or depending on, I guess, what field they're in, it can be a minefield trying to borrow. Has it gotten any easier, Nat? What What are your thoughts around that? It has actually because the banks have introduced some some policies. So if um, you've got a, a company and you're paying yourself a regular income, some banks will just take that. Whereas 
in the past, they would want to see the company's tax returns, um, which then exposes whether they've got liabilities like a car lease and then we have yeah. to include that so so it can make it tough or maybe their income has reduced so the first year was better than the, the most recent yeah. year which banks don't like to see so if mm. we don't have to send the tax returns that can be beneficial in order to get yeah. the the loan through just based on the money that they're transferring from their company into their personal account it does mean that we can't include any profits from the company but sometimes that that doesn't matter um and then the other things that we always look at if we do have to do it uh with the two years tax returns we can look to add back depreciation so for example during covid when we were allowed to do that instant asset write-off where mm -hmm. you buy a car and you do all of the depreciation at once um, some banks allow us to add it all back and that can be really good. So the profits will be showing less because the accountant has declared that depreciation. But because depreciation is just the, the car value dropping over time, it's not an out-of-pocket expense. Yeah. So we can actually yeah. add that back, which helps with borrowing capacity. And the same goes with the COVID payments. So that was... Um, some banks allow us to in still include it. Some make us take it back oh, out right. because they say, okay. well, you know, that, that COVID payment's not going to be ongoing. Whereas other banks will yeah. say, well, you must have been impacted. Your business was impacted. Therefore, that COVID payment just propped you up to the same amount ah, of income okay. as what you should have. What you normally you know, you would have had. had. That's yeah, right. Okay. So it's having to know all of, you know, this is why I don't, I can't imagine getting a home loan without a broker because yeah. we know which all of those policies we've got over 40 banks to choose yes. from and um yeah. to have to to sort of go into each branch Navigate and ask that. them these questions yes. just, yeah it'll be a minefield <laughs> well, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be asking the right questions would you because often with these sorts of things you don't know what you don't know and and therefore yeah. you're not always asking the right uh, question to get the information you need yeah that's right was there any other questions that you thought were relevant on the night? Um, yeah, so um, I know that one of your points, Tanya, if you want to share that with me, and I'll ask you a couple of questions that came through after the, sure, after yeah. the seminar. Yeah, no, sure. We, we I guess um, one of my tips that I shared with people was, um, you know, the age-old, spend less than you earn and invest the rest. And I often talk about that to people because I think it's really important um, because nowadays money isn't physical money. It's, you know, we, we tap and go. In fact, you don't even need your little debit card to tap. You can use your phone, your watch, yes. your ring, um, all kinds <laughs> of things. So people people aren't, you know, conscious of spending in the way that we used to when we got a, a pay packet with dollar bills inside of it um, and so you know getting to understand what comes in and what needs to go out um, is really important and then for some people's personalities we we call investing for savings so uh, you know if you're not good at um, seeing money in your account like we talked about before with offsets if that makes you feel wealthier than you might actually be um, it might be good to have uh, investments that sort of take your money and, and what I mean by that is things like an investment property um, should it be appropriate to your situation obviously everybody's different well most of us prioritize things like our mortgage repayments uh, as a top priority so if you had an investment property as well you'd be making sure the loan was paid just like your home loan um, before you were spending what was left over if you didn't have an investment property you're probably spending what's left over rather than making that money work for you so it was just 
highlighting to people that we have to understand our own behaviours and find That's workarounds. That's exactly why we bought our investment property. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because, I, I, um, you know, income was improving, the kids were getting a bit older, and I yes. said, if we don't buy an investment property, we're just going to spend it, and then in yeah. 10 years we'll look back and think, why didn't we do something What have sooner? we got to so, show for that? Yeah, yeah that's right. And a lot of people um, even pay out their home loan. I can't tell you how often we see people paying out their home loan, you know, and they might have been paying three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month and suddenly they d- that, that money's just going. Then they're booking yeah. the trips and, yeah, yeah getting <laughs> well, a new we don't wardrobe. Do- Exactly. But good Booking good a trip. luck to them for a little bit exactly of time. Exactly that. Exactly <laughs> that. Enjoy it. It's 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 pretty um pretty exciting to be able to do that. And I think experiences in life are you know make what make life rich for all of us. So if that's, that's right. important to you, travel is something that um you know I, I can understand people wanting to do. But it's also within reason and within line with their longer term goals. So that was one of the tips that I'd shared on the night, um, which I think you know most people kind of understand the concept of as well. Um, One of the questions that came in was, um, do you have any tips on budgeting? Um, Because, you know, that's always hard to stick to. Yeah, it is hard to stick to. And I don't know that, um, that there's any one winning formula. I think you've got to experiment a little bit with what works for you. You you mentioned earlier that um, offsets, um, you know, can be a really great thing for people. And I do agree with that, um, especially where banks are now uh, offering multiple offsets. And like you said, naming them. So um, certainly something that I often talk to people about, depending on, you know, getting understanding what they're like, if they see money and they spend it or anything that's in their account gets spent, then isolating that that money, you know, maybe having a little pot there that you can spend so there's no sort of guilt associated with that, but then removing the other money that you want to do other jobs into those other buckets can be really helpful. So you could have one called bills, you could have one called holiday, you could have one called children's education, whatever, you can have as many uh, names as, as purposes that you might have. And then you might work through your budget and understand what's money's coming in for the year, what's going out on things like bills, what do you need to have in that holiday? If you've booked a trip and it's $10,000, what are the repayments to get that in 12 months time and forward save that so it's in there when you're ready to go on your trip, there's your 10k. What is it going to cost you to put the kids through school or or perhaps they're already in school and they need tutoring and other things like that? Allocating on a weekly basis, I often say it doesn't matter what your pay period is, but weekly, if you go and divide everything by 52 and set up direct debits that send that money into those buckets weekly, when when you need that money, that you know which bucket to go to and get it. And it's it's there for the for the purpose that you need it for. So generally, that can be really helpful um, for people to just understand where their money's going. The other thing that is a good tip is telling people to log into their account at, at least once a week. Uh, again, yes. because we tap and go, it's very easy to not have a visual over what is coming in and what is going out. And people often say to me, "Oh, I was doing really well, but then." three or four big annual expenses came in at once and I didn't realise and I spent all the money and now I'm behind and I had to put it on my credit card and there we go, that vicious cycle. Uh, so log in, just check it, understand what's coming up, um, know the dates that your mortgage comes out or 
your big bills are coming up the month. If it's September and September's always, you know, four family birthdays or something, you need to pre-plan for your September because it's going to always hurt. It <laughs> so sounds being, like me. I've got know, three kids in May, all, all born well, in May. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, May, May is a big month in our family actually as well. But, um, you know, a lot of families have that where everything happens in one hit and they feel really sort of nervous when that month comes around and they sort of ignore you know, sort of head in the sand or, or we'll just somehow muddle through. But if you know it's coming up and you've put, you know, one of your buckets should be called May, you know, yes. and it should have <laughs> that money set aside for May so that you're ready when May comes around and it doesn't disrupt the other things that go on in everyday yes. life. So, you know, that's helpful, but it's not perfect. You really need to watch it and monitor it and see where you can adjust things that work for you. Um, no, I totally agree. And even... Um you know, just looking at the spending, we, we actually did a, um, like on the Avery, which is the Birdie Facebook group about where's yeah. your money going or guilty, guilty spending habits, actually. Yeah. So, you know, Netflix <laughs> and Foxtel and you've yes. got, you know, Stan or, and having to cull those. Like, and if you've got your bigger goal in mind, then you, you're kind of happy to find those to. little areas where yeah. you can rein it in. Um, yeah. Another question that came in was, uh, should I keep my former home as an investment property? I've got to be careful not to give personal advice um, in this type of environment because it's important that you see someone and, and get advice that relates to your circumstance. But what I would probably say to somebody, or I'd, I'd probably zoom out a little bit and explain that your home mortgage is what we call non-deductible debt. You don't get any tax return, tax deductibility for having a mortgage, unfortunately. Um, and so reducing your home mortgage as quickly as possible is often a very popular strategy for that reason. Whereas an investment property is generally for building wealth purposes and therefore the interest on that loan is deductible to you or to the owner. And so if you've gone and lived in your property for 10 years and maybe you've worked really hard at reducing your loan, that's great because if it was your home mortgage, we want to reduce that non-deductible debt. But now if you're going to move into a bigger home, by retaining that property as your investment property, you've now got a very low amount of deductible debt and you've probably gone and increased your personal borrowings on your home, which means you've now got a very high level of non-deductible debt. Ideally, um, and again, depending on your circumstances, we would prefer that, that the opposite was true and we had a low level of non-deductible debt and a high level of deductible debt, obviously, depending on your income levels and all those sorts of things that need to be calculated. So it's not always the best strategy. With saying that, some people are very passionate about the properties that they own. It's it's emotionally important to them or there's some connection. Maybe it's been in the family for years and therefore it might be very important to them to keep that property and the actual deductibility isn't what they're considering. There's other factors. And so in those circumstances, we'd run through what that looks like and what the impact is, um, understanding that any income that property produced would be adding to their taxable income and, and what does that look like and is that something that we need to be, you know, considering in further detail. So, yeah, it really is a de it depends question um, and people sort of really should seek advice from, from probably both of us, um, I would imagine, when that happens just to understand what their borrowing that, capacity is too. Yeah, people don't 
think about that. Like they just mm-hmm. think, oh, I'll be able to collect rent. The mortgage is low, therefore it will take care of itself. Yeah. But they're not factoring in the the um, tax deduction that the higher uh, investment debt gets them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people and again, will. Yeah. Yeah, come and see me and have that exact scenario. And that's where we've just got to um, let them know that, you know, is this the best option and let's review the the whole situation, not just jump into that decision. Because the the other thing is capital gains tax, that Mm. if they were to sell their own occupied property, then there's no capital gains tax. But once you start renting it out and you sell it in the future, that's going to be another implication as well potentially that's right so you know again that's where you'd involve their accountant and start mm-hmm. talking about what all those implications are from a tax point of view so you know there's a number of people that need to be involved and and i think often people think oh why should i go and see all these different people that are going to potentially charge for their time um but what's going to happen is you're going to have a clear understanding of what your purpose is and why and how that relates to your personal situation um, both either from a goals point of view or from a building wealth point of view or just maybe an emotional point of view rather than someone saying to you at a dinner party or oh, why did you do that that's silly if you if you've had that advice from your professional team and you know why it suits your circumstances then you're also sleeping better at night knowing that you've got a plan and you've you've sought advice and you know, it makes sense yes. for you. You don't have to explain yourself as well. And a small fee um, can, you know, set you up so much uh, more in front in the future. So that's yeah, right. Totally it's often agree. often money well spent. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Nat. I think it's been really great to highlight those points that um, we talked about on the evening, and um, looking forward to hearing the rest of the team share their tips as well. Yeah, no, I'm loving our our little group with high heels and dollar bills and I'm looking forward to what's to come in 2024. And that concludes part one of our series with the wonderful Natalie Denya. Nat's advice and tips included whether to fix or not in the current interest rate environment, how to help your kids into a first property, always challenging, but there's lots to think about. Getting loans for self-employed, I think that's really important to understand that there's been some changes there and and even understanding a little bit about uh, offsets and redraw facilities is really helpful for everybody. As a reminder, if you'd like to be part of the High Heels and Dollar Bills community, please join our Facebook group. It is a private group. However, the admin will be able to approve your membership and uh, that way you can stay up to date with further events in future. Next month, you're going to hear a familiar voice as we chat to Sonia Gibson from Accounting Heart and share some of her insights. And remember, as always, and especially at this time of year, to think before you spend. Ciao. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision making, nor to be taken as a substitute for personal advice. Please contact Amplify Wealth Management to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. Money Mind. If you have any questions about your financial future, please head to amplifywealth.com.au. Money Mind is available to download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.